Welcome to Real Life at the Ridge, the preaching ministry of Chestnut Ridge Church. Good evening. Good evening. I want to um, invite you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs. If you got uh, your Bible with you or device, if you find your place in Proverbs, we're going to look at a few verses there at the very start of Proverbs chapter 3. And uh, I want to share um, something tonight. I don't feel like it's going to be extremely lengthy, uh, but uh, just want to share a few things with you tonight. Maybe be some encouragement, and by way of title, I want to just uh, give you this. Uh, tonight, I want to talk to you about walking straight in a crooked world. Um, not so much talking about uh, crooked as far as people cheating people and that kind of stuff, but just the fact that this is a crooked and a perverse generation that we live in. And how do you how do you continue to walk um, straight in, in this time and what's that like? I mean how does it work out because it's not easy uh, it's not always easy trusting God. I don't know about you but it's, it's not always easy because things keep changing. I mean uh, we, we're living in some times to where uh, it, it, it's getting and going to get more and more interesting uh, to, to walk and to trust God and to know that your testimony is a very important thing. There are people out there that are constantly watching us. Every day of your life, somebody's watching you. You might not realize it, but there's somebody watching you, and there should be somebody watching you. Um, there should be somebody that's uh, watching you and your, your life as a Christian because you have been left here, and I've been left here to be a testimony, and, and a, we are to be a, a light in a dark world. So I'm gonna, let me read uh, some verses here in Proverbs chapter 3, starting with verse 1. He says, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your, to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Uh, son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, 
nor detest his creation. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as the Father, the Son, in whom he delights. I want to take three things out of this, uh, this text to, and, and cause them to just stand out to you. When you look in the first five verses of this text, there are three things that are repeated. There, there's something that's repeated three times. Let me put it that way. If you'll notice, look at verse one. He says, my son, do not forget the law, get my law and let your heart keep my command. He says, let, let your heart keep my command. In verse three, he says, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. If you notice, you'll see the word heart again. And then he says in verse five, trust in the Lord with all your heart. The first thing he says there in verse one is about our heart is to let your heart keep my commands. And then what he's talking about there is we, we've mentioned this a lot of times. It, it is the place of the seat and emotions, our innermost person. It is where all of our inner being is. And he says that we are to down in that spot where we're at to let your heart keep my commands. Now, we know that God wants us to follow his direction, follow his will, not forsake his law. And we understand those things. And so that's what God's expecting out of us. It's not always easy to walk that way, is it? It's real easy. I'm just going to put it this way. In the Christian life, it is real easy to put on the shine to where you look like you're doing it. Some folks have a struggle with quitting smoking, drinking, cussing, and all that kind of stuff. But if you get down to it, some of that stuff is a lot easier than some of the other things. You know, the, you take the, the outward appearance of things that we think in our minds, it's like, well, Christians ought not do such and such. They ought not do. I remember, as a matter of fact, one of my first uh, sermons here, I, as I was coming in toward the church and all, I stopped, I seen on the side of the road right here by the church, there was a, a, a beer bottle had been thrown out. I picked it up because uh, I'd come apart and I walked out and I was like, well, there's a beer bottle. And I, I picked up a couple of cig a cigarette uh, that was dropped out in the yard. And so I brought them in and stuck them up under the pulpit before I preached. And I was talking about something about, uh, you know, denying our flesh and doing all these things. And I said, I pulled them out and, and all. And didn't say nothing about it. I was like, you know, and I just had a cigarette in one hand and beer in the other hand. And I, 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 everybody just kind of stopped and locked up a little bit, you know. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Was it yours? Because I picked it up right out there. I didn't know. But we think about that like it's those are the achievements. And once we get those, we're done. But I've come to find out in the Christian life that those are the easy ones. The big stuff that everybody sees to where we can look, make it look like on the outside that we're a Christian. I ain't saying it's easy, but I'm just saying it compared to some of the things that are the hidden things of the heart, it's, it's easier. He says there to let your heart keep my commands. And, and this is a father talking to a son. And, and, but listen to, this is what God would want for us. He would want for us as his children, for us to keep his commands. And he says that we keep them 
in our heart. Let our heart not transgress his commandments. Not, not out here. And we know when he talked uh, uh, about David, when David was being chosen as the king of Israel, that the Lord doesn't look at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart, that he's paying attention down in here. So we can put everything on we want to out here, but it's those things that we struggle with, the things that we know God maybe said to us, God wanted us to do or didn't want us to do and, and all. And, and everybody else might not know about those things. There might be a few folks around you that know, but you know about those things. That's what he's talking about. So then you got to ask the question. It's like, God, that's great, but how? Well, he goes on to tell us how. Verse 2, he says, For length of days and long life the peace uh, and peace they will add to you. Then he says, Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. So how in the world will I live a life to where down in my heart I do not transgress the commandments of my heavenly Father? He says, first off, to let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind mercy and truth around your neck. And he's talking about love and commitment, the, the covenant commitment. We, we as children of God... We are to put on tender mercies and uh, kindness and all. We are to love one another. For it's through loving one another that they know that we're his disciples. And then this other idea is talking about the covenant commitment, much like a, a, a marriage commitment, that we are to bind these things around our neck and write them on the tablet of our heart. The, the, the mercy, the, the, the loving kindness, the kissed loving kindness that we are to show to one another that God shows to us and then we are to keep this covenant. God, we are children of a new covenant. The, the covenant of grace that God, uh, he did not come to do away with the law, but he came to fulfill the law. And the way that he come to fulfill the law was that he was going to lead us in grace to keep his law. We could never keep his law before. He died for us, paid the penalty so that we could become children of God on the cross. And now each day of our lives, we are to grow more and more and more like him. Now, you know, it's amazing isn't it? that God, um, God gives us a standard that's far higher than we could ever possibly reach. Would you agree? I mean, because if we could reach it here on this earth, then uh, he would have nothing to do to complete our sanctification process and glorify us in the end. If he finished us, if we could finish it now. And we know that's not true, that we can't finish it now. But I don't know about you, but I'm glad God did not set a bar that was below Christ's perfection. Because if he did then you and I, if we ever was to hit that bar, we'd stop right there. Our school system is a direct result of that. Can I get a witness? We have kids that don't have to achieve. As a matter of fact, I can even go back into my time uh, being in, in high school. I knew how to manipulate the system. And it's sad that somebody that had the smarts to do what I did, I could have surely just applied myself and I could have actually went somewhere with that. And I had teachers over and over again tell me that. I'll never forget going into Mr. Phillips' science class at the end of the year. And I said, give me the number, bro. And he said, man, you need to quit living like this. I said, just give me the number. And all I wanted was, he knew what I wanted. I wanted the number that I had to make on that last test. And, and the thing is, 
whether it was a 75 or 82 or whatever it was, that's all I was worried about was making that number. Because if I made that number, my grade for the year was going to come out 70 or better. I was out. I, I could make it. And I know that, that we as people, God did not set the standard as something that we, we could reach completely, not on our own. He set the standard at Christ's perfection. And by His grace, and I, I believe that whatever God wants you to be and whatever God wants me to be in this life, that God would call good. And this is important that you get this. I believe that whatever God wants for you in this, world, this life that you're living, that God would call good, He will empower you to get there. He will empower you through it. And God said, be ye holy for I am holy. Whatever God has for you to achieve there, which is not sinless perfection, that's coming. But whatever that looks like on this earth, that is between you and God, and you know whether you did your best for Him or not. You know whether you took the grace that He gave to you and used it for His glory or not. And I, I get it, because isn't it, I mean, Christy and I were talking about this just the other day. Uh, we were... Uh, she she asked, uh, posed a question to me, and we got to talking about some things. The fact that sometimes the bar looks so high, doesn't it, that we think we'll never make it. But what I want you to understand is, if you are obedient to Christ, and you do what He has called you to do for the day that you're living in, you strive, just as Paul said, that He's he, he's reaching, he's pressing on toward the upward call of Christ Jesus. Paul was not perfect when he died, but Paul was satisfied that he had run the course, finished the race. And that's what you and I have got to understand, is that we have a responsibility to keep pressing on, keep pushing forward, and whatever God has for us each day, whatever God has set before us, the path that he has for us, and the, and the, the things that he has asked for us to do, that's all he wants from us. We can't be perfect in our own strength, but we cut ourselves short. This is the other thing you need to grab a hold of. We cut ourselves short far too often, don't we? I mean, let's just be honest. We, we bring the bar down a lot, and we settle for not being what we should be, what we know God wants us to be. And we've got to change that. If that's the part, part of your life that you go, well, I'll never achieve this. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to make it this far, and that's good enough. Good enough is not good enough. You, need, you and I need to strive for whatever Christ has for us. He says here that you're to let mercy and truth for, uh, not forsake you, and that you bind them around your neck like a necklace. It's almost like a banner, uh, Evie Kate's got to the place now to where she's playing with fake pearls and all that kind of stuff. Everyone, she wants to be a princess. She's a pretty princess. Got to put her little strings, all, all uh, beads all around and stuff. And that when she puts that on or puts something else on, she's a princess. But did you know that God wants us to wear, and, and, and if for no other reason, I mean, no other way in our minds that we know that we are adorned in truth and in grace, that you and I are adorned with love and mercy, compassion and truth. 
this, this covenant commitment that we are in with God, we are to be honoring, we are to honor that covenant commitment that God has made with us. And, and so he says to bind them around your neck and to write them on the tablet of your heart. So he says that we are to take these things and we are to inscribe those things into the very being of who we are, down where it really counts, where it really matters. Uh, I was, one thing that I like about this day and time that we live in is so much of the pageantry is going away. You know, the pomp and the pageantry of high church and things like that. People are, you know, and there's nothing, you know my heart, there's nothing wrong with somebody wanting to dress up. You know, I mean, that's fine. If that's what you want to do. But at one time, that was seen as a form of righteousness. That you, if you wore a suit or you wore a suit and tie or you wore a dress down to your ankles or whatever, and you were at church and all, that was seen as you, that, that there was a part of that that made you feel righteous or made other people think that you were righteous. A lot of people would say self-righteous. But now, it's kind of, to me, it's getting back to where, in a way, where it used to be at one time. It's amazing to me that a lot of the folks that ended up getting into the whole suit and tie world, when they backtrack into their grandparents' lives, they actually used to go to church in bibbed overalls, and that was the best that they had. And everything was cool. They'd come straight out of the field, wash off, come on to church sometimes, sometimes change their shoes. You know, I've even heard stories about folks here that went to church here back in the day that they had some church shoes hid about halfway along the way, and they would wear the old shoes until they got close to the church house and so that they didn't dirty up the church shoes walking on the dirt road coming here you know here's what i'm here's what i like about it i like it because it doesn't matter whether you wear a three-piece suit <laughs> a three-piece suit or if you wear blue jeans might be one of them suits too <laughs> wear blue jeans or whether you wear shorts or whatever it doesn't matter what matters is who you are and we live in a time right now that people are more concerned, uh, I believe, in, in, in about your integrity now than they have in my whole lifetime because people are so bombarded with falseness. People, every, everywhere you turn, people are lying to you. The, the, the kids right now, if you would genuinely be a child of God and follow after Him and model Christ before young people today, they would gravitate towards you if you would be around them. The reason being is because you are authentic. Because they see so much that is not authentic anymore. The, the things that used to draw people in, those things have run their course in so many ways. Kids are grabbing for something right now and, and all the things the, uh, that they used to grab a hold of, they're not as enticing as they used to be. They're just doing it out of just mundane repetition. But if you could offer them genuine, if you could offer them genuine community, now, in other words, just do life with them and do it in a way that is inundated with mercy and truth, you'd be surprised as to how many, many would gravitate towards you. 
they just don't have it in their life and everything else is so open-ended and and so god has designed us to be this way you would think that you would think that people right now would not want anything to do with just like a community relationship but they say that that is the number one thing that people are looking for in church right now is community they're they're they're, they want to be it's amazing church went one direction and then all of a sudden it's coming back the other way that people want to be held accountable they want to see genuine christianity lived out and i ain't talking about old people i'm talking about all people young and old they're looking for it because we've lived in a world now so long that didn't have it but god god designed us this way and he says that in this crooked world and i want you to just come back come back around that when you see everything else falling apart when they holler about there's a gas shortage and everybody's panicking when there's uh all the stuff about the the covid and the economy and all the things our politics and all um i heard somebody this is funny i heard somebody say that politics comes from two greek words poly meaning many and ticks meaning bloodsuckers but anyhow um but we worry about all those things you know i mean those things affect us how are we going to live how are we going to make it are we going to have gas to go to to work in are we going to have finances to be able to do what we need to do for the rest of our life for our families are we getting we worry about all these things how are we supposed to walk but that's a christian doesn't walk worrying about those things we know that if we're following god each and every day of our lives whatever comes in front of us he knew about it and if he led us to it somehow some way he's going to lead us through it and that we're not supposed to stress don't be anxious for anything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to god and then god will give you a peace that goes beyond anybody's understanding i mean and we know without a shadow of a doubt that we can manipulate some stuff but ultimately we can't change the major things right you can't change whether your employer fires you or not you can't change no well i'll take that back (laughs) you can help your employer fire you but you get what i'm saying if your employer decides to terminate your job and you've done everything you're supposed to do you can't you can't do nothing about that if the company that you work for goes bankrupt or shuts down you can't do nothing about that if they change the way they're working you can't do nothing about that if cancer is uh found in somebody within your family you can't change that i know prayer and i understand god but i'm just saying it's something that's out of your control and we as the people of god have got to understand that god has a principal purpose for us and that is for us to do life with each other and to get the gospel out that's what god's intended for us and so in that we we walk we walk straight we walk in in his path that he's laid out for us so stepping a little f- further forward i want and then i'll try to tie this together he says that if you write them on uh, bind them on your neck write them on the tablet of your heart and so find favor and high esteem listen in the sight of god and with man that you'll find favor 
and high esteem in the sight of God and with man. If you'll just do what's right, if I will just do what we're, I'm supposed to do, do what's right, that I will find favor and high esteem with God and with other men. And I don't know about you, but the favor of God is something that I really want on my life. I want God to not look on me with, I want God to be pleased with me when he looks, <coughs> excuse me, upon me. I want God to be pleased with who I am. I want God to be pleased with what I'm doing. And I've come to find, like I told you at the beginning, I've come to find out that the greatest battle that I fight in that is here. <coughs> I think that's why he put it, that your heart is to keep my commandment, commandments and that you are to um, bind these truths about the mercy and truth around your neck and that you are to write them on the tablet of your heart because that is the place that is going to take place, the fight is. <coughs> and if you do so, you'll find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. And then he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. So he says that at the very first in our heart that we are to keep his commands. Then he says the way you're going to do that is you're going to take mercy and truth and you're going to bind them around your neck. They're going to adorn your life. You're going to write them on the tablet of your heart. That that's what you're going to be about, these two things in your life. And if you think about it, that's exactly what God wants us to do. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our neighbor as a self. If you love the Lord, you'll keep his commands, and so on. And there it is. And then he says, on, as icing on the cake, now you are to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust what have, has been written on your heart and what's hanging around your neck. At that point, we are to trust. That's when the hard stuff comes in. That we, and it literally means just that, that we are to trust, we are to put our faith in, we are to rest in the, the, the Lord with all our heart, that He's the one that wants us to do this. That's where it seems to me that the rubber meets the road. And he says, lean not on your own understanding. Now, I don't know about you, but I try to get myself through a lot of things on my own. I try to figure out if God don't come through in my life. I've, I've found a progression in my life, thankfully, that is moving a little bit at a time toward actually waiting on God and trusting God, knowing that if, he, if I'm right with him, if I've done what he's asked me to, then even down to the ninth hour, I cannot take it in my own hands. I think God has us responsibilities that we should take care of. I don't think God wants us to sit around. If we can have the ability to go to work, I think God wants us to go to work. I think if we have the ability to, to, to you know, do certain things in our lives physically and mentally and, and take care of projects, take care of people and all, I think God wants us to do those things. But at some point in time, we've got to say, I've done all I needed to do today. And that's a big one. I wish Sunday, I, I just could not unpack everything I wanted to unpack. But one thing that I want to get across, and I will try to get this across over the next several weeks, 
is you got to make it a priority to give yourself a permission to say no. That we have got in the right sense that if we know what God has expected of us today, then at some point in time, the day has to come to an end. And we have to trust. Now, there's a, there's a lot that God requires of us. I believe that. I believe that God wants us to spend our time with Him. I believe that God wants us to, to, to keep our focus on Him. I believe that God wants us to get, um, you know, uh, things accomplished that need to be accomplished. But at what, time, at what point in time does it end? And I'm not just talking about the work hour. I'm talking about the worry hour, too. At what point in time do you go, you know what? I can't change tomorrow. And I can stay up all night thinking about it, but it's not going to change it. We'll, we'll pass it off as if we're planning. Well, i got to strategically plan it all out. I'm getting to the place to where I realize that God does a lot better planning than I do when it gets to the point that I can't understand it no more. I go, you know what, God? And I, I know what it's like to be to not well in our society in our life right now this is something that's big that people say i just cannot turn the switch off right y'all i mean it just it's just i keep my mind just stays turning all the time all the time all the time you know i am all for not being lazy i am all for getting stuff done but i believe a, a tactic of the enemy to keep us from being full like we should be full, like filled with the Spirit of God, filled with filled ups to overflowing so that we can we can pour out to others is the fact that we are constantly, constantly pouring out and not be, being poured into. And some of it has to do with the fact that we don't trust God with His plan. Got to be in His plan to start with, without a shadow of a doubt. But then once you're in God's plan, at that point, you got to understand that God's the one that's going to direct your path. I was, um, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, depart from evil. I was at uh, Fruitland getting ready to graduate. We had uh, left, uh, uh, at that time, uh, uh, a good-paying job, surrendered to the ministry, our our first full W two at Fruitland was less than fourteen thousand dollars. We it don't even add up to me. I, I've told it before. My personnel manager at Michelin told me I was an idiot. He said, "There's no way that this plan will work." And I go, "You might be right, but I ha I've got to try it." because I have fought this and fought this and fought this and I know this is what God wants me to do and I'm going to go do it. And, and I'm not the only person. There were many people that have gone before me there and, and seen God do the same thing. So I'm sitting there and we're at graduation time. I owed a little over $800 to Fruitland so that I could graduate. Now I know there are other schools like this, but I can tell you one thing. I don't know about now, but, but back in the day, Fruitland didn't play. If you owed a dollar and didn't pay it, you wouldn't walk in. You better hope somebody comes, and they wouldn't go pay it for you. You better hope that somebody, because their, their motto at that time 
At least I thought it was their motto because I heard it almost every day. If God called you, you'll make it. If mama called you, you won't. And we'll find out whether he did or not. And so they didn't play around with you. And when you graduated, as soon as you graduated, you best start unpacking because you couldn't be there. You had to be off campus that day. You graduate, you're gone. And I know how this, that's the way it is in a lot of schools, but I'm just... So I had a little, a little over $800 that I owed. I didn't have all of that money. I was probably shy about three, a little over $300 of having that money together. This was earlier in the week, Monday, Tuesday, somewhere around in there. Graduation was on Friday. And see, here's the thing I know. I know without a shadow of a doubt that when God called me to go do that, that God was going to see me through. He promised me. I, I knew because I didn't understand the plan. I had done had conversations with God on multiple occasions leading up to that. And I go, God, this does not add up on paper. It's not going to make sense. I can't, you can't pull me out of the workforce to that degree. Take me away from this. I've got a family. I've got three kids. It's just not going to work out, God. But he assured me in my heart and had proven to me that he was going to take care of me. Well, I started doing what I normally do, trying to figure out how in the world can I get that money. Well, easiest thing for me to do at the time was I would just go to the guy I was working for, welding for at the time. I can get a front because the next week I can work all the hours he wants me to work the next week because I'll be graduated from, from there. And I can work all, and I, I'll make more than what I need to borrow from him. So I went and I borrowed the money from him. He didn't have a problem with it, not one bit. I ran to get things taken care of at Fruitland so that I could graduate because, I mean, hey, Friday's the deadline. We go to Batcave that Wednesday night, and we start getting graduation cards. Got a little over $900 in them graduation cards. Everybody's celebrating. It's all great you know and all wonderful and down inside of me i'm sitting there going god i did it again didn't i i did it again you told me see i didn't have to borrow on the next week but i didn't wait on him he had it covered had it all taken care of but i had to go fix it and see, I think that's why down in here is some of the hardest things we battle with. You see, because very few people knew, knew about that. Christy just barely knew about it. Nobody else didn't know about it except me and Jerry Nealon and her. But God knew about it. God knew that his child got in a panic. And see, what I know is, I know I was not in the will of God when I went and, went and got that money from him. I knew I wouldn't. I didn't have a peace about it. I was panicking. I was anxious. I had to have my family. I mean, I done, we done invested all this time of our lives in there. We're we going to graduate. But think about where God's at. Yeah, you're going to graduate. This wasn't even a thought in your life until I put it there. And I'm the one that called you to it. I'm the one that's that seen you through the whole thing. And, I, and, and here are we at the very end, 
And all we're talking about is 300 and something dollars because we didn't have like a church supporting us, sending, paying our bills, going through, and none of that stuff. We left out, church we was at gave us $1,000 and said, have a ball. But God knew. He had seen us through every single time. I've told you before, and I just, I'll just end, maybe bring this one one more time, just so to drive the point home from my own personal experience. And it's not always just about money. I want you to hear this. It's also about relationships. It, it, it's about um, plans that God has for particular things in your life. Uh, we... We had uh, a vehicle come up for say, come up and offered to us, and I was like, "Man, it was a phenomenal deal." The bank was going to take the guy's truck, and I mean, he he owed like the truck was worth like like four or five thousand dollars, and he owed like twelve hundred bucks on it. And this is when we was first moving up there. And uh, I was like, "Man, oh, that's 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 a hard deal to pass up there." So. I went to the bank and because we had invested everything like we were we had just moved to Fruitland so we had everything we had stretched out but I went to the bank and borrowed the money to get it and uh had this little car I was gonna sell the little car to pay for the truck because the little car I had I could easily sell it for two grand I just sell it so we put it for sale at my mom and dad's house. Christy's brother found out he and his wife just had a kid. They had a two-door version of what I had, which was a four-door, and they wanted that car. I was like, wow, well, I mean, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let you make payments. I was going to just let him make the payments that I owed on the truck. Let him make the payments, and then the truck would be paid for. I have the truck, and he have the car. I said, but I knew they had saved up $500 for that car. I said, I want that $500 down on the car. God, the whole time I'm driving from my mom and dad's house, settling that stuff up with it and, you know, and uh, talked to them. They came out and looked at the car and stuff, and I drove all the way back up to Hendersonville a little over two hours, and the whole way God's telling me, give them the truck. I mean, give them the car. Give them the car. And I'm arguing back and forth with God going, God, you don't understand. I'm going to at least get that $500 out of them because they got the $500. I'm going to get it out of them, give them the car. So I remember walking into the trailer up there on at campus on, at Fruitland. I took, took keys, throwed them down. I said, just call your brother and tell him to come on and get the car. No, we're going to give it to him. I was furious in my heart because it, my plan was not working out like I wanted it to. That week, I don't know what day it was on, but it was that week, Christy comes into chapel service at Fruitland. Hannah's got done broke her elbow, wouldn't it? She's screaming bloody murder, stops preaching in the chapel because, no, and we go out, we go to Party Hospital, find out that she's messed with one of those little bones that ain't finished growing yet. We got to go to Missions Hospital in Asheville to go see a pediatric specialist because of that. And when we leave Party Hospital to head to Missions, they give her some uh, pain medicine and stuff, and we're on our way up there. 
the chaplain called and said, hey, somebody dropped an envelope off here. I'm going to put it at the security guard's desk. You stop back by here whenever you can, pick it up. Uh, so we went up there, turn around, come back. Everything's cool now with Hannah. She's sedated, basically, and they've got her cast on and stuff. And we're coming back, and I said, do you think it's cool to pull over there and find out we're going to get that envelope on our way in? That way we can do that. We won't have to go back out no more. Sure. So we go over there. I get the envelope on the way home. She opens it up, and there's $500 in it, in that envelope. And, the, and, and if sure as I'm standing here, God told me in, to, my, to my heart, he said, this is how much, how hard it is for me to come up with $500. And I'm just trying to tell you that the things that we seem, see as things that seem to be huge, God does not see a challenge. God sees an opportunity to show his kids that he is who he says he is and to accomplish his plan. It happens that way in relationships. I cannot tell you how many times I have been needing to talk to somebody and I go, God, I need to talk to them. And the next thing you know, the phone rings and I ain't talked to them in three or four months, but that's them on the end of the line. And I'm not saying he's some genie in a bottle. I'm just trying to tell you that God wants us to trust him. See, this is all it takes to walk straight in a crooked world. It's when all the rest of the world is doing everything it does to make it through life. You and I don't walk like that. You and I walk in integrity. We always do what's right. We trust him. We write God's word on the very soul of our hearts. And we trust him. And we do not lean on our own understanding. And I can't tell you how many times in church life that's where people, the churches get in trouble. They're going to figure out some way to manipulate it. I, I've heard so many, when it, even when it comes to preachers, well, this is, we need this kind of preacher. Ain't nobody, nobody wants to say anything about we, we want who God wants to be here. You know, it used to be a joke. I used to read the biblical recorder, uh, the Baptist paper for North Carolina, and their, their classified ads in there. And it's just amazing. You know, so and such and such church seeking full-time senior pastor must have a minimum of such and such degrees, so many years experience, must have the ability to do this and do that. And I'm sitting there going, and not nothing in it about we would truly want God's man for, for this position. So if you would pray and just, if God leads you, send your resume in. And that's why, honestly, I was in one of them same positions when I came here. I had put my resume out in four different associations. I knew people there. I had done, started doing my thing. I was going to work it out, going to make it happen. So I started doing the little shake and bake stuff with everybody, you know, just over here talking and on. Had four resumes out, four different associations. And then God stepped in. And thankfully, thankfully, I was... I could, I could hear it. 
Mike Morrison was uh, preaching revival here at Chestnut Ridge. He was pastoring a church of just about three or four miles down the road from where I, we, we were pastoring. And I'd eat breakfast with him and some other pastors, and we'd get together. And no, we were sitting there eating breakfast at Green Hill, uh, uh, Green Hill Restaurant going toward Lake Lure. And we were sitting there eating breakfast, and he was talking about this church and the revival. And it wasn't nothing that my ears want, would normally want to hear. I, I, I didn't want anything to do with traditional church. I'd done been in the mix of all that stuff for long enough. I done had people stick canes in my face fussing in uh, business meetings. And I done been cussed out and fussed out and kicked on and stepped on, snorted and everything else. And, I, and, and, and all you want to do is serve God. That's all you want to do is just serve the Lord. And you had all that stuff going on. I so said, I'm done with this stuff. You know, and I was romancing over a church in Hendersonville. My pastor at the time, he had a lot of connections in there. I said, man, I said, would you turn my resume in up there at that church and put in a word for me? You know, sounds just like something I'd do to try to get a job in the secular world somehow. I said, would you, you do that for me? He said, heck no. <laughs> he said, you won't be there two months. He said, man, them people run you out of there so fast. He said, you ain't, I don't even know if you got a chance to pastor a, tradition, a church that's already established. We might have to go plant a church for you to have somewhere to, to pastor. And uh, when, I, when Mike was talking, though, the Spirit of God began to speak to my heart. And by the time we got to the end of that breakfast, I said, Mike, I said, would you do me a favor? I said, if you would... If He told me that y'all, the, the church here was without a pastor. And I said, if you would... Would you give them my name and my phone number, and if they feel led to by God, to call me? I said, and you can tell them up front, I'm not turning in no resumes, none of that stuff, because I just, I'm done with it. And I, as soon as I got through talking to him about that, on my way home, I called, and I told all four of them associations, I called him up. I said, you still got my resume? He said, yeah. I said, tear them up, put them in the trash. I said, I'm going to Kings Mountain. Christy can tell you, as soon as I got home, the very next opportunity we have, I loaded them up in the car. We come down here. This is before we ever even met with the pulpit committee. We drove around the community. I was on Google Earth looking at y'all's houses. <laughs> no, I was. And, and, I, and I, I'll never forget. I don't know if I said it out loud to her, but I know, I, I know it went across my mind when I come down 74 for the first time that I know of, come down through, it was, it was, it, it was just dark. And I looked out through there and I said, every one of them street lights is a house and every one of them houses got people in them. And I'm just, and God just did his thing. And he's still doing his thing. I'm just trying to tell you that God does not intend for us to make our way in the path that he's led us in. If we will seek him and, and walk with him, then everything we need will be there. He'll wait at the last minute a lot of times but don't you think that's the smartest thing for him to do is to challenge us and our faith he'll, he's never nor will he ever as a matter of fact I just wonder sometimes if God doesn't delight because in the Old Testament I see some places to where 
even when drought and famine came, his people would flourish. Not all about prosperity, money, and that kind of stuff, but I'm just telling you, when others were doing without, his people did not do without. Wouldn't it be so awesome to watch God do some of that stuff in our lives? So don't fret the threat of famine, the threat of pestilence, and the threat of all these things. Don't fret it. God's already been there. He knows what's coming. Thank you for listening today. Pastor Greg wants to share with you how the gospel changed his life and how it can change yours too. You know, Tim, it was the gospel that saved me. I'll never forget when Ray Elder came into my life, uh, God put him there and he shared the truth of the gospel with me, that I was a sinner, that Christ died for my sins, and that if I would accept him as the Lord of my life and follow him, that he would change my life. And that's exactly what he's done. I wonder if that's something that you would like to do today, that you would today before God just admit, you know, God, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, and I need you. And God, I believe that Christ died on the cross for me, and I want to accept his payment today for, for my sins, and I want to live for him from this point forward. If you pray that prayer today, we want to welcome you into the family of God. We also want to encourage you to contact us. You'll find a link below where you can reach us. And so we look forward to hearing from you. so much that he gave his son for us. Amen. God bless you guys.